Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. You can find the Hidden Yardage Podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Just search for Hidden Yardage, and we're on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. Thank you, RJ Ochoa. I'm Mark Lane. Find me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane, and I'm always joined by Sean Martin. What's your Twitter handle, Sean? Hey, y'all. I'm at Sean Martin NFL. Make it real easy to come on in before training camp and the season get going. There you go. Training camp. It's coming. It's kind of like I said, on the Twitter spaces before the show, we do on Sunday nights at 9 o'clock Central Time. That's like what we call time that you call Eastern Time, but like an hour less than that, Sean. Um, I was I was a little confused, you know, so a little behind the scenes for Hidden Yardage too. Mark usually, you know, sends me a nice message of like some things we're talking about, you know, what if the time is still normal as far as the recording. So all that gets sent on Sunday and it did again today, but you vote. I'll be good to go by 10 PM Eastern. Did you think I like caught the last flight to Jersey and I'm recording this from up there or something? You know, we're, we're, we're both on central time now. Yeah, I did. I was like, I, I thought that you were in New Jersey for some reason. So I did. I just, I spoke to you in Eastern time. Hey, how do you feel by the way, with this concept of central time and things like the 10 o'clock news and say Sunday night football kicking off at 7.30 as opposed to 8.30. See, so yeah, Central Time in, here in Texas is probably like the second time zone that I've you know consistently watched football in. I mean, I've been around you know, at different ones, but I watched a ton of seasons on the East Coast. With Eastern Time and now Central Time, I do like the Central Time kickoffs. It doesn't make the night game too late. 7 o'clock is like the perfect time to – Go settle, you know, get ready and settle down at the bar if you're going to watch there or, you know, have dinner right before the game. During the game, you got your snacks, those types of things. So I like the 7 o'clock primetime game. Uh, the 12 o'clock, it's a little bit of an adjustment as far as it comes up a little bit quick in the morning. I know, you know, Californians kind of love that. They get to have their breakfast with football culture type of thing. So I feel like I would enjoy that, but it takes some getting used to. And I feel the same way about the 12 o'clock too. Like if I wake up, I don't mind to wait till 1 o'clock, but now it comes at you at 12 that's a little bit different, but the three o'clock game is nice right in the middle of the afternoon uh, kickoff time. So overall, yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, no surprise here. The most football crazy state in the country being in Texas has good time slots to watch football. In. Yes. And I don't know about you, but that noontime slot feels like um, sometimes the team is still asleep. But when that noon kickoff kit hits, um, the one o'clock, if the team is playing one o'clock local time, uh, I don't feel like they fall asleep as much. But it's always like, oh, a uh, noontime kickoff at AT&T Stadium. 
Oh, they'll be awake by the end of the second quarter. Yeah, the new. I mean, like I said, like I said, you know, out west too. I mean, you'll have, you know, those. It's ten o'clock there, so I can't even imagine like, you know, you go out on a Saturday night and then, you know, Sunday at ten, your team's playing. You got to have all your fantasy lineups set by then. You know, all that. That's that's some pressure. And then late in the year, they start adding these Saturday games now too. So you got to deal with both of those windows. Uh, I imagine it's pretty chaotic out there, but. We're both good watching in Central Time, and it does feel like the teams come out a little bit slow. I mean, I know in the college slate, that's a legitimate thing. You know, sometimes you'll get these weird 11 a.m. SEC matchups and things like that. The Texas-Alabama game. Oh, yeah, Big 12 does it. Yeah, Big 10, they do that. Yeah, I think it's noon for there. But, yeah, uh, you you wake up, and, oh, Arkansas and Ole Miss are playing at 11 o'clock – on Saturday morning. Yeah, those are always your upset all games. I had I had a meltdown when it was announced, and this could change, though. That's the only thing keeping me sane about this. But the UT-Alabama game, week two of this upcoming season, right now is scheduled for an 11 a.m. kickoff here in Austin. I mean, first of all, where's the time to tailgate? I mean, there were so many great places to tailgate here in Austin. you got to give us some time. I, I know UT fans are going to find a way to party anyway, and we love them for that. But you got to give us some time. Plus, you know, Second quarter, man, it's going to be 12 o'clock. It's going to be peak of the heat out there in that stadium. Uh, you know, I know proud Texans will probably be like, oh, we love the heat. And Alabama does too. It'll be great. But nobody would willingly choose the hottest time of the, of the day to sit out there for a huge game as opposed to like afternoon where it's still hot going into the nighttime. That's obviously the better choice, and I hope that game gets moved to a night slot. But, yeah, right now, I, you know, being in Austin, knowing that UT Alabama is going to be an 11 a.m. kickoff, this fall is a pretty, pretty frustrating. Yes, and I'm sure the Cowboys will feel a little frustrated once the attrition of just the season hits. But hey, it's something you got to deal with. And this player's unavailable for this game, or this player's out for the season, and so forth. Like I said, it happens to everybody. I almost hate to do a segment like this because. Um, uh, a very well-known columnist at the mothership had a like the most indispensable cowboy type thing he'd do before every season in the 2000s, and then that player would end up getting hurt. So, uh, you know, I don't really want to put the kibosh on anybody, but who's your underrated yet indispensable player for 2022 and you know i'm i'm excluding existing pro bowlers from this list i may make an exception for leighton vanderesh as his pro bowl was in his rookie year well it's interesting you go to vanderesh because i'm going to go to his position i do have one for the both the offense and the defense but yeah my pick for the defense is jabril cox i know it might feel you know a little bit early to put him in this category but and we talked about this on spaces that we do before the show, and we'll bring it over here too. You know, all around the depth of this team is a concern, not especially the case of linebacker. You know, if you're buying into this hype that Parsons is going to be a 20 sack guy or, you know, whatever, however many he wants to hit 23 to break the record, that's going to take a whole lot of defensive end snaps and pass rush snaps, which is what he does best, I think, and is, you know, where Dan Quinn should be trying to prioritize him. But, man, the thought of not having Parsons to, to actually play a legitimate linebacker spot and then say, well, maybe it'll be Jabril Cox, maybe it'll be Vanderess. You know, it's all the unproven players back there. They tried the Keanu Neal experiment this year with converted safety. 
it didn't really work. So it's hard to get excited about, you know, Javon Coase to get a play in there, maybe Donovan Wilson. It's hard to get excited about doing that again. So, yeah, you're going to need a legitimate linebacker here. Van Der is one of them, and good for him on getting that second contract to be that type of player. It certainly seems like it's going to work out for him this year, just as far as the opportunity to play some snaps. But my you know, underrated yet indispensable guy would be the athleticism and the speed that Jabril Cox could potentially bring to this defense. And then did you have an offensive player? Yeah, an offense, I went with Tyler Biotis at center. Um, I think you know, you're going to get a strong season at some point here from Tyler Smith at left guard. There'll be some growing pains, but I think you, know, you could have a pretty consistent, strong run-blocking left guard. And then over at right guard, we all know what you have and probably the best offensive lineman in the game if not the best guard. Up there with Quentin Nelson, you have Zach Martin playing in between uh, Beatus and uh, Smith at the left guard. So, you know, Beatus is a player they think is kind of an ascending player. He hasn't hit his ceiling yet. To be that guy who can play right between, you know, two really physical, great run-blocking type of players. Um, but if he does, you know, take a step back or get injured or any of those things, I could take him off the field and prove that he's indispensable. You know, I just don't think you want to go down the road where Matt Farniak is having to snap the ball or you're having to run offense with teams, you know, lining guys up over the A-gap. And then Smith and Martin have to deal with more than, you know, they can deal with on those sides of the line. So, you'll be honest, definitely going to have to step, uh, step up from that center position. So him and Jabril Cox would be kind of my under-the-radar indispensable guys. For me on defense, it's it's Jaron Curse because he plays the big nickel and I think that he's really etched himself into a role that has made safety dynamic for the Cowboys for the first time in probably the days of Roy Williams. So uh, he's able to, or you don't have to really go back that far, but it it creates the optimism of having a playmaker in the secondary that they had in 2020 when Donovan Wilson was coming into his own, into his second season, and was just a phenomenal defender with some splash plays and brought a lot of excitement. So that's kind of what I see with J. Ron Curse is if I think he's very indispensable because he's another one of the creations from the island of Dr. Moreau. In this case, uh, Dan Quinn, just another kind of monster that's come off the island, if you will, and wreaks havoc uh, on opposing offenses. Now you got Michael Parsons, but I think that J. Ron Curse, in his particular role as the the big nickel, provides run support, and then he can also cover tight ends. I think if Dallas was without that ability, it might compromise Dan Quinn's scheme. And then maybe you see Michael Parsons having to do it. They may put Michael Parsons in as the big nickel, which if you do that, then that takes away from his pass rushing ability. Or let's just say if you thought about putting him in there, um, it'd take away from the pass rushing ability. So for me, it's J. Ron Curse. And then on offense, you know, I think you got to go with Dalton Schultz, the tight end, because if he's not out there, now you're counting on Sean McKeon to take the next step to play at 
starting, you know, starting quality out there at tight end. Uh, I think that Jeremy Sprinkles, a blocking tight end, you kind of know what you have with him. So it's really McKeon um, and Jake Ferguson, the fourth-round rookie. That's kind of who you'd be counting on. So that's it for me on on defense. Safety, J. Ron Curse, the big nickel. On offense, tight end, Dalton Schultz. Those are the underrated yet indispensable Cowboys for me. It's interesting you mentioned Parsons playing some uh, nickel position and you know talking about Curse in the same breath as well because one of the highlights for both of those players you know from this season that I remember the most was against the Saints. You know Parsons was basically playing that nickel position or he was you know playing a coverage position where he turned up the field and carried a route. I think it was towards the pylon on a throw to the end zone. He carried a route all the way down the field, tipped the ball away, and Curse made a diving interception. So you know certainly you could see both of those players. You know, trying to make more plays like that as the Cowboys try to create the same amount of turnovers they did last year, which we all know isn't going to be easy, but you know, it's something they put an emphasis on and they have the players to do it with Parsons and Coase and Javon Diggs, of course. So uh, trying to create those turnovers is a huge part of what this defense, you know, is all about. If they don't get them, you know, we're talking about one that's going to be giving up more points and not quite as strong as they were last year, or is Parsons too valuable as a pass rusher to keep the defense you know, in that winning kind of mindset to get after the quarterback. And then they're going to have to have somebody else step up in a coverage nickel kind of role. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. That's the beauty of Michael Parsons is really who can adequately sub for him at the other positions when he's got to do the utility stuff. In other words, hey, is the pass rush good? Randy Gregory, you got the pass rush? I've got to drop back and help J. Ron Curse on this route. Okay, the pass rush is good. Thank you. Um, linebacking, you know, hey, um, Leighton Vanderesh, it's the Jabril Cox in early October. Is the linebacking good here? All right, it's good. Okay, I'm going to go pass rush. Uh, you know, and even back in the secondary, okay, J. Ron Curse, you're the big nickel. You, okay, so I can just – cover the mid-level stuff or defend the run, whatever. And so that's what I'm saying is I think that the beauty of Michael Parsons is how much of a utility guy he can be. And so part of that beauty is for underrated yet indispensable guys like Jaron Curse to play maximum snaps. And you hit on this last week, you know, the beauty of Parsons being – a utility player as well as he has a head coach that appreciates that. And you talked about Parsons' experience with Clay Matthews um, or McCarthy's experience with Clay Matthews using Parsons as that similar type of player to make sure he gets free shots at the quarterback and optimal, you know, rust position and thing like things like that to move around the defense makes him all the more valuable. I know Quinn shares that vision for Parsons as well. And McCarthy and Quinn are pretty in sync with how, you know, Quinn ultimately gets to run the defense. So, yeah, Parsons' versatility is going to be big this year. I know way back on this show we've talked about, you know, is it almost going to be too big? Are they going to do enough this offseason to make sure he doesn't have to do everything? And now with the offseason pretty much in the books, you know, I don't know if we have that answer. Certainly, certainly they've added on defense, just not a linebacker around him. So they're counting on guys like Dorian Armstrong and Dante Fowler, who they brought in to also be out there rushing the passer, though, whether it's with Parsons or as you said, if Parsons is dropping into coverage, can a guy like Fowler, Armstrong, Quentin Bohanna, 
uh, Oso Digizua from the inside. You know, those are the guys you're going to be counting on to give you some type of rush. Yes, and and with the Cowboys roster construction, of course, comes the commensurate uh, speech from Stephen Jones about pie and not enough pie to go around. And, you know, we have a hard cap and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, at the end of the day, we, we, we do what's right for our guy. We like our guys. Um, so they like their guys so much, though, Sean. Pretty spot on Stephen Jones in person. I like Yeah, that. maybe I ought to go pull some transcripts. I'm just – I'm not feeling it tonight just to really <laughs> do improv Stephen Jones, but um, – I used to do improv uh, Jason Garrett. Uh, that's always you, though. That was, um, but I ought to read some fun, of his yeah. transcripts as Stephen Jones and see if they're spot on. Um, but, all right, they like their guys so much, though, Sean, that they're 13th in the NFL – in dead money against the salary cap at $22.7 million. I wish some of that was owed to me. Um, but, yeah, so their biggest dead money goes to Jalen Smith at $6.8 million. So, you know, Stephen talks about pie and, you know, we got to do what makes sense for the team. And, you know, Mari's a good receiver. But, you know, there's just – we have a hard cap. But, okay, that's true. But you made a bad contract with Jalen Smith, and you got this dead money. Maybe you should have worked those contracts better, and then you wouldn't have to worry about pie for Amari Cooper. I don't know. Am I making a big deal about the dead money with the Cowboys? I don't think you are. You know, it's such a – you know, it's just something I wrote about basically from bloggingtheboys.com as well. The overall idea of how this Cowboys team just builds a roster for – so many reasons, and you're, you're talking about the cap is one of those reasons, is so far behind, you know, just what you have to actually do to, you know, su- sustain any kind of success in the NFL. We know this thing is designed for rosters to just change in the blink of an eye, and, you know, thing, teams come out of nowhere. The Bengals made the Super Bowl this year. You know, we know these things are going to happen year to year as far as just the curve of this league and why it, that's a big part of why it's as popular as it is. So, yeah, for many reasons, the Cowboys are behind that curve. More times than not, it's why we're talking about them being the favorite to win a division again, maybe just barely this year. And if they do, it'll be the first time they've won it in back-to-back years since you know, the end of the 90s dynasty, 95-96. So to have this dead cap for a guy like Jalen Smith, who you know maybe you were the only team that might have taken him that high, you got some good years out of him, you thought he, you were going to be the smartest guy in the room, and you were proven right that he could be the guy, and then you give him a big deal that he doesn't live up to, of course. You know, that's just another thing that buoys you. It's another thing that ties you down to the unexpected. Oh, now we have to move on from Murray Cooper. Oh, well, now the Dolphins want Connor Williams and oh, all the other free agents are ducking out of here as well. And, you know, what do you know? The Broncos found a way to get a deal done for Andy Gregory. And you just can't plug these holes as fast as you create them if your only way of roster building is either drafting and having guys play well through their rookie contract, which, of course, every team needs to an extent, or, you know, only trying to hit on second contracts for your rookies. And those are going to hit, you know, more times than not if you think you've have a, if you think you've had a proven player for the last five years. But when they don't hit, they just tie you down so much, and you get to deal with plenty of that too. And so that's exactly what happened to Jalen Smith, and there's other examples to why the Cowboys are in the cap situation they're in and why we'll still hear Stephen Jones over and over and over again 
say, you know, it's about pie and cap space. And at the end of the day, we just didn't have, you know, what we felt like we needed to keep all this talent around. Yeah. And when you look at, according to over the cap, who they owe money to, it just kind of signals really bad contract projection. Jalen Smith, $6.8 million. So that was signed in the 2019 offseason. So he came off of a Pro Bowl year in 2018. And, and, you know, it looked like, hey, Jalen Smith, he's finally um, becoming what we knew he would. Um, He's over the ACL injury. But 19 20 gets cut in the middle of 21 and that's what i'm saying 6.8 million dollars was jalen smith really worth it what happened that they was it loyalty what happened that you just gave him that much money or you had him on for that long that he's now costing you 6.8 million dollars against your 2022 Cap. I mean, maybe they should have cut bait after his Pro Bowl season in 2018. Because, you know, um, let me think about it. It was 16, 17, 18. 19 was his last year. So he's coming into his last year in 19, and they did the deal. So that's what I'm saying. You didn't, you, you wrapped him up. In 19, why didn't you just let him play it out like he did with DeMarco Murray running back, albeit he was a third-round pick from 2011. But nevertheless, why didn't you just let him play it out? They did the same thing with Bruce Carter. He had a career year in 2014. They let him play it out. And he signed, I think, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, <clears throat> Amari Cooper. And a linebacker feels like one of those spots. Yeah, a linebacker feels like a spot where, you know, if you weren't the Cowboys and you're allergic to free agents, then you can just go get a guy. It feels like one of the more confident positions to bring in free agents and get success from with the right coordinator, which, of course, the Cowboys currently have under Quinn. So, you know, that's another thing that holds them back. You know, if they weren't so allergic to going out and getting new players and free agency, they could say, oh, yeah, this would be easy to go find another linebacker. We can let Smith move on. But, you know, they feel like they know their players so much better than what's on the free agent market because they're not players there anymore that you could have to pay more for a guy who's, you know, been in your system. And so that's, that's what they did with a guy like Smith and it backfired. They could draft one, though. Like, that's what I mean. They should have just let Smith go when you look at – at least he should have played out the 2019 contract, So I'm saying, before giving him an extension. Amari Cooper, uh, $6 million. With that, I feel like – Dak needed weapons, so, you know, kind of makes sense. They did it in the 2020 offseason. Lyle Collins, $4.9 million, and it kind of made sense that he needed protection. I don't think that they had anything adequate at tackle. I believe they traded for Parker Ellinger in the end of the 2018 preseason. So they were kind of trying, I guess, and they failed. You know, sometimes you guess and you're wrong. Like Jarwin, $2 million. Keanu Neal, $2 million, the safety. They tried to get to play linebacker. Um, And then after that, it's just honestly peanuts that really teams kind of pick up just in terms of roster management. Reggie Robinson, uh, $364,000. Greg Zerline, the kicker, $333,000. 
thousand dollars. Bradley and I, one hundred and eleven, eighteen thousand dollars. So, eh, you know, so what? But um, yeah, I, you just look at some of these, and it really looks like bad, bad career forecasting, and just getting a little impatient and, and signing guys up who maybe needed to prove it a little bit more. Yeah, the career forecasting aspect of it. Yeah, that's just exactly what. The Cowboys, to some extent, believe in, but also has held them back. You know, they believe that they can draft better than other teams, that they can develop talent once they're here, so they can earn second contracts, and all that's great. But you know, we've all been talking about, man, these next two draft classes, based on the, not only how they play right now, why they still have Dak Prescott in his prime, but how much they earn a second contract. That's going to define you know such a long-term future for this team, as far as just how much of a rebuild it's going to be staring you in the face between last year's draft again, because you had so many guys who really took, you know, basically a redshirt year, and now what they did this year with Tyler Smith and Sam Williams and Jalen Tolbert, you put those classes together, and we'll be looking back saying, man, if these, if most of these guys earned second contracts, then this team made some pretty good runs, and they were pretty good under McCarthy there. But if not, I mean, you're, you're looking at just a roster that creates holes everywhere, more so than they already have going into training camp, where we all see the holes at linebacker and, some of the offensive line positions and uh, receiver, of course, as well. So, yeah, it's going to be a telling time for just how well the Cowboys can project the careers of the guys that they have gotten right who are still here as their star players like Prescott and Elliott and, you know, Zach Martin, some guys that you're really going to be counting on. Oh, and by the way, the Los Angeles Rams, I, I bet they're a number five in terms of dead cap money because – dead money against cap because, you know, they – trade for everybody they don't have a first round pick till 2024 right no they're 21st 13.5 million dead money owed and it's to robert woods the receivers now with the tennessee titans 11.9 million so you know uh, that's that's a little bit of how the sausage is made sean yeah, whoever does the cap for the uh, the Rams, I could use them as an accountant these days. But, uh, you know, I think another NFL team might be employing him sometime soon, if not the Rams as well. So. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Let me ask you this, though, Sean. As we move on, everybody kind of has feelings about games. You know, you have feelings that, oh, Dallas is just absolutely going to crush this team, and they do. Oh, Dallas is going to get creamed, and they do. But have you ever had those experiences where, you know, the Cowboys, I'm certain that they're going to win this game, and then they lose? Or conversely, well, they're just going to get creamed this week, and, you know, it's just the way it is, and then they win. Have you ever had feelings about games like that? Any any evidence on your end? Yes, this is an awesome topic, by the way. I saw this pop up in our show notes and was really excited to. I had to get, the games came into mind right away. I just had to come home and hammer out the details of like, okay, let me get the season right and 
look into the scores a little bit of, as far as remembering the actual plays that happened. But two games came to mind right away. So I'll start with a game that um, I thought they would win, but they ended up losing. And it was the start of a stretch of three straight years. Of course, we know him as the eight and eight years under Jason Garrett. But another detail of those seasons was that each time in week 17, you were playing an NFC East opponent with a chance to uh, win this division and go on to the playoffs. And so the first year of this streak was 2011. We're playing, of course, I was still living in New Jersey at the time. We're playing the Giants. And I had so many Giants fans. And usually Giants fans are pretty realistic about their team. And I give them a lot of respect for that. And they were in this case too. Man, the Cowboys are playing pretty well coming into that game. I had Giants fans telling me they were so worried. They weren't hyping up their team, saying, oh, we're going to we're gonna blow out Dallas like we always do. We're going to win. You know, there was enough of that going on. But I had plenty of Giants fans coming up to me saying that, oh, we're pretty worried about this Cowboys team. And it's, it's going to be a real tight, close, maybe even a low-scoring type of game with Wade Phillips, uh, you know, defense and some of those guys still being here. And the Giants come out and build a 21-0 halftime lead. Victor Cruz scores a 74-yard touchdown. Romo got sacked six times this game. They had a and out when he got sacked right after that touchdown. And Ahmad Bradshaw goes in for a touchdown. He had two during that 21 nothing run that they take in the halftime. And, you know, the score got closer in the second half. But, of course, it never felt very close, you know, even after that Victor Cruz touchdown. But it was 7 nothing, and the floodgates kind of opened. So the Cowboys were swept by the Giants that year. The first game was a three-point game, though, but they lost because Dan Bailey missed a field goal. As time expired, 37-34. That was the game at AT&T Stadium. But coming into the Giants stadium, I really thought they had that game. And, you know, the Giants just came out and smacked you in that first half. And it just completely changed everything I felt about, you know, that season. And unfortunately, what we'd be seeing in the seasons to come, too, um, you know, because they, they played out that exact same type of game on the road a few times. Okay. For me, my game was the one where you're sure that they're going to lose and they end up winning. That one was in 2012, and I was actually slated to go to that game, and I did. It was on December the 9th, 2012, against the Cincinnati Bengals. And everybody kind of knows what that game was. It was the Jerry Brown game because the, uh, I believe, Friday night before, uh, Josh Brent had the... uh, the drunk driving accident that killed practice squad linebacker Jerry Brown and it was his best friend and so you had that emotional element Dallas was also down in terms of their defensive lineman they were still running a 3-4 at the time under um, Rob Ryan so now you have Josh Brent that's out of the, you know, just out of the game. So where's that depth going to come from? And I just, I thought that Dallas was, they were just going to, you know, lose because you had the emotion element. You had the problems with the defensive linemen, just the depth. Um, and, they managed to win 20 to 19 Dan Bailey field goal to win it. And as an interesting side note, that was the first time I had ever seen a stadium 
because you had Cowboys fans in there at Paul Brown Stadium and obviously the Bengals fans. That was the first time I saw a stadium come together over one cause. And that cause was on the Jumbotron they showed the San Diego Chargers crushing Pittsburgh at Heinz Field 34-24. to And that's why I said the whole stadium broke out in applause. It was unbelievable. But that's my game for um, you're certain they're going to lose it, but they win it. The opposite, you're certain they're going to win and they lose it, was against the New York Jets in 2019. This is the Jets, for goodness sakes. Oh, yeah. Under Adam Gase. They haven't won a game to this point. Uh, what What's his face who's now uh, in Carolina? Okay? The guy that looks like the bad guy from The Incredibles. Um, he's down at uh, Sam Darnold. He's out with mono. I was never going to get that. I'm like, I hope he doesn't mean like, I hope, I hope that's not a hint that I'm supposed to be able to guess that. I'm like, uh, you're on your own. Yeah, I, mean, they, I know the incredible for man. Hey, yeah, Sam Donald though. Uh, you know, yeah, he had some, some years there up the Dutch, man. I went to a few of his games. He, it's his first start back since having mono. And he just looks like Joe Namath <laughs> back there and they can't get to him. And they just screw around the whole game and they end up losing 24, 22. And that was just, like I said, it's one thing you lose in to the in week four Sunday night football down in the Superdome to the New Orleans Saints. Okay, close game. All right. Then the next week, you kind of lose this quasi shootout with the Green Bay Packers. Okay. Trying to come back and everything and pad your stats. All right, we get it. But to go up to MetLife Stadium – where you always play and and lose to the Jets or starting second year Sam Darnold coming off of mono. What is wrong with you? Yeah, you know, losing to the Jets is always rough, man. Yeah, you know, I'm friends with enough Jets fans. I usually, you know, stay out of the Cowboys way. We don't play too often and they get to just go about their thing and they've been stuck behind the Patriots for so long that they just have a good time anyway at their game. So usually Jets fans but not all that bad. But, man, when they beat, you know, a team they weren't supposed to, like the Cowboys, it can get kind of bad. So, yeah, we I certainly remember, you know, both those games that you just mentioned there uh, as far as being a high-note type of win there with the Bengals and definitely a low-point loss being in Jets and Giants country when, when we lost to the Jets. Yeah, and that was also where you had the highlight, if you will, of the players coming to the sideline after – failing on fourth down or something, and Jason Garrett is trying to give them a high five and keep their yeah. spirits up. They don't even acknowledge him. That was that game, too. Yeah, I think your first game, you know, painted a good example of the mental, you know, preparation that Garrett had his team ready for, and he got a lot of credit for just having him ready to play after that tragedy um, and all that and, you know, the way they responded. So, you know, there's certainly things that you have to give credit, Garrett credit for. He did a lot of good things here, but – just as far as that, you know, having that fire with his team and that connection where, you know, you don't go out and lay an egg against the Jets, I guess, you know, on that particular day, it wasn't there. Yeah, and it, but that kind of the whole tale of the 2019 Cowboys as well, they just couldn't win those close games. They could not do it for the life of them, and they had so many close games, everybody does. It's the NFL, it's part of the parody, it's why everybody watches, but that they just that was one of those games where they had it and then they gave it up and 
you know, they play if they couldn't beat anybody by thirty five that year, they just lost. So well, let's end this on a good note. I still have my game to go where we all thought they were gonna lose and they won. And this one sent me way back. You know, I had to remember the year again, but I the game came right to mind. Two thousand nine at the Saints, you went into the Superdome in week fifteen against a thirteen and New Orleans team. And the Cowboys came in at eight and five. That was the same Saints team that went on to beat Peyton Manning and the Colts in the Super Bowl. But on this night, their undefeated season ended. Wade Phillips was the head coach at the time, and they would ride that win to go shut out the Eagles and Washington to end that season. Back-to-back shutouts of weeks uh, 16 and 17 for the Cowboys to end that season atop the NFC East, along with this win against the Saints where nobody went in to win. I mean, just for years there, not only just 2009, but of course that year was the peak because they won the Super Bowl. But their home point totals that week, that year, up until that Cowboys game, I mean, the Saints were dropping 45, 24, 37, 48 points, 35, 30, and a 38-burger before they only scored 17 against Phillip and the Cowboys with DeMarcus Ware getting the game-sealing sack and Romo making plenty of clutch throws. So I really did not have a lot of faith in that team to do what they did against the Saints. They were kind of – they were winning up to that point, but it was a little bit of smoke and mirrors. You know, we didn't think they were as good as their record potentially said. Of course, nobody thought – Anybody in the league was going to touch the Saints, particularly in the Superdome. But on this night, it was, I think it was a primetime Thursday night game as well. Uh, the Cowboys got it done with that 2009 win to end the Saints' undefeated run. Yeah, and, and prior to that, on Sunday night football, the week prior, uh, it was after Dallas lost to the Chargers, Tony Dungy said <clears throat> that um, Dallas had no chance against the Saints. And then... Uh, Jody Camillus, the special teams coordinator, used that as bulletin board material. And then, whoa, there you go. I mean, I I need bulletin board material. I mean, somebody needs to go get quotes of uh, what media folks say about me. And that'll motivate me. I need bulletin board material, Sean. Well, you still have that, like, drawing of the football play diagram going on behind your desk? I haven't been on one of our roundtables in a while, so I don't get to see everybody's cool – you know, Zoom world uh, office type deals, if you will? Uh, no, I still got the uh, wall of credentials or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, Th- those are some interesting games, Sean. They they really are. It, it just really shows just how you got to play the games. You can't play them on paper or in your head or in your heart. You got to play them on the gridiron to see what really happens. Oh, absolutely. I've mentioned before we're going to be, uh, at least personally, I'm looking forward to, and I know everybody on this Blogging the Boys podcast network is as well, you know, talking to real games, but it is fun to come up with segments like this as well to get you through the off season. But yeah, getting to do this when we're talking about games is going to just be a whole nother, whole nother level of, you know, reacting to different things each week and not saying, oh, maybe, you know, this game will play it this way. Maybe it won't. Like you just said, like we just gave plenty of examples of, you just really don't know how any of these things are going to break from week to week, which players are replaceable. Do you have the depth to get through you know, a season that still wants to end where you want it to end, which for this Cowboys team, there's a lot of pressure to, of course, you know, win a division, win a playoff game. That's a lot of pressure. So all training camp and all preseason long, you know, we'll be talking about them doing enough in that context to, uh, to take it to a game day on Sunday, which right now feels... A little bit far off. I know we're both enjoying summertime and it officially being summer around, uh, you know, wherever you may be listening. So 
we'll have that, and then we'll get into some Cowboys talk this fall. Yes, and part of the Cowboys talk for now that has to suffice is Cowboys' birthdays. All right, so on Tuesday. We got a good one this week. Yeah, on Tuesday, Chuck Alley, Super Bowl V MVP. Uh, Today, the only uh, Super Bowl MVP to come from a losing team, which was the case when Dallas lost 16-13 to the Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl V. It made the great Bob Lilly man enough to sling his helmet 70 yards. Okay. But Chuck Howley, <laughs> yeah. he was an all pro linebacker for Dallas from 1961 to 1973. He turns 86 years old on Tuesday. And on Thursday, someone that Sean might know. Miles Austin turns 38 years old from summit, New Jersey played with the Cowboys. Of course, receiver, 06 to 2013. Everyone will remember that October 11th, 2009 overtime matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs when he effectively broke out and had a Pro Bowl year, one of two that he had with the Cowboys. Miles Austin from Summit, New Jersey, Sean. And he went to Monmouth. Well, he did, yeah. First Cowboys player to, from, you know, first player from Monmouth to make it to the Cowboys. So, yeah, one of my all time. Uh, favorite personal players, you know, he's come back to Monmouth and done some things as far as sponsorship there and you know, just speaking to students in the athletic department and the basketball arena there. So, you know, his ties to Monmouth are pretty cool because it's a school that was real close to where I grew up and he played his high school ball in New Jersey as well. So took a lot of his home state with him to, uh, you know, be a starter and a high level starter at that for a while with the Cowboys. So when he was doing that, yeah, it was awesome to see and certainly was one of not only my favorite players, but a lot of Cowboys fans around the state uh, were, of course, all tuning in to root for Miles Austin. So definitely some fond memories. Of course, probably none better than the overtime walk-off touchdown against the Chiefs. Of course. And then Pat Donovan tackle. So when people say Ray Donovan, I immediately think of Pat Donovan, who played tackle for Dallas from 1975 to 1983. I believe he was a member of the Zero Club. He turned 69 years old on Friday, and he's from Helena, Montana. Oh, you'll go see his birthplace, won't you, Sean? Yeah, I was going to say, I got the countdown on my screen, on my home screen, uh, on my cell phone here, down into the single digits. And by the way, let me just say real quick, uh, my friend in Montana doesn't have a Twitter account, but he was tuning into our spaces and said we did a good job. So I appreciate him uh, being a part of that. He's not really a sports fan at all, but... He's our focus group, yeah. Yeah, well, he's not a football guy, but, you know, he uh, just likes to support. And, you know, he went to a big school, Division One, like I didn't. He went to Cincinnati, so he's, he's still got to take in some big football games. Um, and, yeah, I will be at the at the site of uh, the Montana State Bobcats, and that is where uh, in, Bo- in Bozeman, Montana, a uh, country concert featuring Old Dominion, Carly Pierce is the opening acts, and Kenny Chesney is the headline uh, is going on after the weekend after July 4th weekend. So, of course, we're going into July 4th. Excited to still be in Austin for that. And then uh, going into the next weekend, though, I will be in the birth state of Pat Donovan. He's from Helena, Montana, which I'm pretty sure is pretty close to where my friend lives now in Stevensville. And I will be driving across the state to uh, Bozeman to go see this concert. So certainly looking forward to that. We'll hit on it on the spaces, I guess, the next week uh, and go into Hidden Yards the week after that. And uh, just a great way to unwind and, take in the music, you know, it's going to be a great night, just like it was when Chesney played uh, Dallas and we had Coach McCarthy and Dak Prescott and Jason Witten 
all come out for that. So. And then finally, Garrett Gilbert, also on Friday, turns 31 years old. He started against the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2020 and almost beat them. Man, the hype for Gilbert after that game was kind of unreal. It's like he needs every rep as like the backup. He could be the long-term guy here just because we were so starved for any competent backup play that, you know, an almost win against a decent Steelers team is really all it took to build up that hype. So I do remember that, and it wasn't really a high point for us as Cowboys fans to say that, like, Gilbert was way more than he ever proved to be to this point. But, man, he did play hard again in that Steelers game and played pretty well, and, you know, they certainly could have stolen that one. Much like uh, you know, you stole the Vikings game this year without Dak Prescott, and everyone said, "Man, you know McCarthy, we might have something here." You know, we finally have a coach that can win with a backup quarterback, and and you did it with uh, without Dak. But you know, the playoffs result wasn't there. But Prescott still had you to, had the division in hand. But to win that game with Cooper Russ and Garrett Gilbert not being a part of this thing anymore, um, you know, that Steelers game was kind of as close as it got for him. Yeah, and I think that the Steelers might have been like. Who's Garrett Gilbert? Who cares? Well, game plan for everybody else. Let him beat us. And, uh, you know, they took their chances and they won. Absolutely, yeah. You know, um, you know, when it comes to backup quarterbacks, like getting into games for the Cowboys, again, it's been such a just a low point. You know, you don't ever expect any success. You know, we talked about – I brought up games from 2009 and 2011 for the last segment, you know, doing some of those times. You, you also had to live through the, the Matt Castle days and Brandon Wade and – all those things are always going on. So, you know, this year we have other position groups, it seems, to worry about that are much more pressing as far as, you know, they had to fix legitimate starting spots across the offensive line and receiver and defense to really worry too much about quarterback and you're just all systems go for healthy Dak Prescott. But, you know, if this was any other year, we'd be having that same conversation about, you know, this team not being all that prepared once again uh, in the event of the starting quarterback going down. Yep. And... That's how it all went down on this episode of the Hidden Yardage Podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. We're part of the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. Uh, pork roll sandwich update. I need to get to Dallas and make sure man, that <laughs> a shop that Jesse Holly gave us a lead on uh, actually has a pork roll sandwich. And if it does, I will certainly have one. I will throw in that, you know, I need to quality check this, of course. So if it works out that we could be in Dallas at the same time, I'll happily meet you there to uh, to give this a try as well. So we can we can make that happen if we're both in Dallas at the same time. Sounds like a plan. Hey, you've been listening to the Hidden Yardage podcast. So there it is. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.